Hello and welcome to Modern Animism Radio. This is Laura Giles, your host and co-founder of Pan Society. You know, animism is about living in connection with everything. And our program brings you various points of view from all kinds of people so that you can broaden your mind, see sides of things you didn't see before, so you can get confirmation that you're on the right path or maybe change direction. You certainly don't have to agree with everything we say here, but I hope you'll keep an open mind and at least listen because that creates connection and shines light into the darkness or at least gives a different perspective that you hadn't considered before. Today, I'm talking about the power of unnaming. That's been my theme this week. So let's give gratitude to our first ancestors, the elements. For all the food, shelter, juicy pumpkins, wonderful touch, beautiful music, and amazing sunsets, thank you, Earth. For all the insane and connected conversations, ideas, the ability to observe with detachment, books, plays, and love letters, thank you, Air. For all the burning passions, destruction, and responsibility, and to know when to use that power, thank you, Fire. For all the emotions that uplift us and drown us, the waters that quench our thirst and cleanse us, thank you, water. Thank you to the loving, helping ancestors for all the support that you provide that we see and don't see. Thank you to the elders who guide us through the life towards death. And thank you to our listeners for listening, sharing, liking, and subscribing on social media. It helps us to get the word out about modern animism. If you want to support, please review our podcast wherever you're listening. You can join our private Facebook group and meet people like you who are curious about an animist lifestyle. If you'd like to support and get perks, please check out our Patreon page so that you can get in on our book club, online class, and group ancestral clearings. If you want to get involved, send me a message. We're a volunteer-run organization, and we would love to have you here. So... Part of my animus practice is to just pay attention to synchronicity. Synchronicity is spirit's way of speaking to us. So it pays to be alert for themes and coincidences. What's been jumping out at me in the past week, and maybe for you too, because these things have a way of reaching more than one person, is the practice of unnaming. I've seen it in the book that we're reading for the Pan Society Book Club. It happened while hiking, while watching a TV program, on our Facebook group, and then I was talking to someone about science fiction writer Ursula Le Guin, and she has a pretty well-known piece about that too that was published in the New Yorker. And I think that's a pretty big sign to say, talk about this. For those who are not familiar with this term, unnaming means to basically erase, to make invisible or to unmake. It's as if this thing or person is no longer there. So when we're born, we name them, we give them an identity, and if we want to disempower someone, ostracize them, or make them voiceless, we unname them. And there's many ways to do this. Um, If you've ever seen like a whistleblower come out, and then you see all the attacks that come out afterwards, that's a way that we unname people. So I'll talk about the things that happened to me this week to show you what I mean. So the first one is uh, the book from the book club. It's Know My Name by Chanel Miller. And Chanel is the victim in the Stanford rape trial who was initially called Emily Doe to protect her privacy. And I'm sure you've heard of this. This went on for years, big story in the media. But in her book, she details all the ways that some people used the information that was released to find out who she was and harass her and her family. She talked about how the media portrayed her pale, affluent rapist using terms like 
Olympic level athlete and Stanford student. So important, high profile, um, high status words. While the the words that they used to describe her were things like naked, passed out, party girl. So definitely not equal and not cool. And this is how we have historically spoken of rape victims. It's why they don't speak out. They are victimized by the rapist and then again in courts and in the media. This is even more true for indigenous women. This was recently highlighted by the Gabby Petito disappearance back in August of this year that was all over the news. So Gabriella Petito went on a cross-country trip to visit state parks with her boyfriend. She was in regular contact with her family and friends, so lots of uh, uh, social media posts and texts, and then she abruptly stopped communicating. So big red flag, right? And her boyfriend returned to Florida alone and then refused to talk to authorities. Petito's family filed a missing persons report September 11th, which set off a firestorm of attention on the case. A body is found 10 days later in Wyoming, which was then positively identified as Petito. And all that's fabulous for Petito and her family, but you never see this level of attention for a missing brown person, male or female. And in some tribal communities, Native American women are murdered at more than 10 times the national average for other groups. We never hear of that. I've, in my lifetime, I've never heard of a high-profile case of a Native American missing woman or Asian or any, any person of color. If you're African American, your case will remain open and unsolved four times longer than if you're pale or Hispanic. These are the unnamed. So I think it's important to shine a light on this because you're everything and everything is you. If we don't care about that person, then, then there's some part of you that's not being cared about either. So in my book, Know My Name, you know, the author nails it with that title. This is the story of the Stanford rape case from the victim's perspective, which we don't talk about and we don't ever hear about. The author gave so much detail what it's like to be nameless and faceless, to be described by your actions, your relationships, and little things like what you were wearing and who your boyfriend is, as if that excuses rape or gives anyone permission to rape you. I can see now why rape has been such an open secret for so long. We all know about it, but nobody talks about it because it just opens the door for victims to continue to be victimized and negatively judged. I can see why the author named her book Know My Name. In telling the world who she is, she gets to be visible again. She gets to tell her story. She gets to share her outrage that nobody is talking about the big fat elephant rapist in the room, just her. I'm outraged for her. Compassion for her would be fabulous, but I'd settle for justice for all rape victims. When her rapist got only six months and served only three, that was an outrage to all victims of sexual violence. And I think that was the tipping point for people because, well, because the judge got recalled. <laughs> so I think, you know, that, that was just like the biggest slap in the face. And when the faces of the victims are real people with real lives, real feelings, this will start to change. And I, I think, I hope, fingers crossed, that th that time is now. It's time to give the victims their identity and self-worth back and call rapist, rapist. Now the next story is a little bit different. So what happened while hiking was one of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced. So I hike most mornings, I try different trails to mix things up and I hadn't been on this particular trail in a while. I've been all by myself all morning and suddenly I hear this dog come racing down the hill barking as if he's on full attack. Now I have dogs. 
I like dogs. I know dogs. And I know the difference between a bark that says, hey, coyote, I know you're out there. Just letting you know I'm here so you don't head this way. And a bark that says, hey, delivery guy, stick to your business and there won't be any trouble. Or even a playful bark or a hey, rub my belly bark. And this was not like that at all. This was a bark that says, you're the enemy and I'm about to tear you up. So I stepped off the trail and backed up against a tree and uh, I was totally not sure of what was about to happen. And the dog stood in front of me threatening and growling and then he ran off. And the owner calmly sauntered down the hill with the leash in hand. We exchanged some words and it wasn't until after I got to my car that it registered that she didn't call to her dog. She didn't rush down the hill. She didn't ask if I was okay. And she didn't apologize. So she not only didn't see me as someone who was worthy of her concern, I think she deliberately told her dog to do that. She wasn't the least bit concerned and had the smirk on her face when I saw her, like it was funny. And I cognitively know that there are mean people in the world, but I don't have these types of experiences. So this left me really amazed at how some people can look at other people and not feel any connection at all. Especially because this could have been a really different situation if I had freaked out or if I had started running, this could have been really, really bad. So to give you the um, kind of an opposite example of this, I read a story about a man who was in Mexico and kidnappings are common there. And he was kidnapped by a group of four young gang members or he was abducted. He was, I don't, the, the difference being he wasn't ransomed. Um, they took his car and they were driving out into the country. And, you know, that's not a good sign. You want somebody to steal the car, take your wallet and leave you on the side of the road. No, they kept him in his car. So he heard spirit say, talk to them. So he started telling them about his life, his wife, his kids, his name, and fleshing himself out as a person. They found some common ground and the conversation turned lighter. And by the time they got to where they were going, which was like an hour away, it was a long way away. Um, and they ended up at one of these guys' houses. They were on a first name basis. And they said that they had to have his money because somebody was sick or something like that. And they gave him his car back and let him go. And this is what happens when we have names and look like people. We can't treat them like they don't matter because humans long to connect. We're social creatures. It's what we crave. I was watching this movie about World War II, and in this one particular scene, the Polish woman was supposed to lure a German guy into a trap so that her male partners could kill him. And she couldn't do it because up to that point, he was still a person in her eyes. And we don't hurt people that we feel like we have a connection to, at least on a human-to-human -human level. So it's not like I have to know, your, you know who you are or have uh, even a talking relationship to you. But if I see you as a person, I'm going to have some compassion. You, you see what I'm saying? So we at least have to not see them and disconnect from them to treat them badly. If we see them as monsters, then yeah, we can kill them. And that's the mindset of all people I've talked about so far. There are people who we see and we say that they matter and those who we don't. When we don't see people as having value, we erase them, threaten them, ignore them, rape them steal from them, and can also kill them. So let me tell you about the Facebook group thing. So there was a post uh, about cultural appropriation. And if you've been around a while, you know that's not the drum that I beat. I think that sharing culture is a fabulous thing. Culture doesn't belong to anybody. 
uh, it's always evolving in food, music, fashion, and art are some of the best ways that we get to share ourselves in our, our culture. So I, I love that interchange of people and definitely encourage that. Um, but I have sometimes talked about the problems that can happen when cultures collide using the term cultural appropriation or more often spiritual appropriation because those are the terms that are in popular use. And one of the things that tweaked me about that was that, and I kept thinking, 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 what, what is it? What is it? And it, what it, what thing that was bothering me is the word. It's, it's really not an issue of cultural appropriation or spiritual appropriation for me. It's about the unnaming that comes along with those behaviors. So someone posted something that triggered me. And I know whenever you're triggered, it's, it's your issue. And this was my issue. And since I own my own stuff, I said to myself, hey, what's going on here? What's what's within you that has to heal and even though um, it had nothing to do with me I could identify with the feeling of being erased so when somebody with more power takes something from your culture and twists it and repackages it their version of events more often than not becomes reality because they have more power they have a louder voice that's just how it is so if we call this thing a spoink and they call it a spook it's now a spook and that might sound like a small thing if it's not your spoink, but to someone who comes from a culture that was threatened with extinction and can see the impact that this has had on other cultures who were actually brought to the brink of extinction or were extinguished, it's the whole world. It's your identity. So when I was a baby folk dancer, I remember telling my audiences short stories that I had been told that I later found out were not folklore, it was fake lore. So they were just these made up fantasies that had no basis in reality. And when I found that out, I was really embarrassed. Now, this can happen to anybody, especially in the pre-internet days. So, you know, no harm in making a mistake. But after that, I was always uh, sure to present uh, the truth. So I made sure that my students and audiences knew that our music, costumes, and moves were from a specific culture and era, and we called things by their proper names. We only dance the dancers in their proper context because I was representing someone else's culture and I had enough respect for them and didn't want to do it wrong. It wasn't my place. And that's a sign of hospitality. I'm a guest in these cultures. So you act like a guest. In folk dance, it's tempting to dress stuff up. It's folk dance. So it's not designed for the stage, but you are performing. So you have a, an obligation to entertain. Um, but you know, the, because of the repetition, it's designed to be danced by the people and it's, you know, just repetitive. So you want to do something a little jazzy. Um, but anytime that we embellished, I let the audience know that this version was inspired by the culture or was just plain fusion or interpretive dance so that they didn't confuse it. And does anybody care? Not really, but it matters as a way to honor the culture. So you don't just take what you want, make your changes, generalize or subtract stuff, and then sell it as the original. I mean, it's cool if you want to do it, but just call it something else. To do otherwise is to unname the thing that you say that you love. And I'll throw this one in since we're here. Uh, I did a video on YouTube, on the YouTube channel about names, and I think I have a pretty easy name to pronounce if you're a native English speaker. It's an English name. And yet, lots of people don't pronounce it correctly. And I really don't like that. It's like saying, I don't care enough about you to learn how to say your name. If you call me something else, you're unnaming me. Think about that the next time you want to call Jorge 
George or Michael. Michael. It's not cool. Okay, so Ursula Le Guin. For those of you who don't know her, she was a science fiction writer from the 80s and 90s. And her piece in The New Yorker was called She Unnames Them. It's really another way of looking at what I'm saying. So in this short piece, Le Guin basically retells the very beginning of the Genesis story when God makes all the animals and Adam gives them all names. Most of the animals don't care what they're called. But in being the one who gives the name, Adam has all the control. Eve, being the female, and of course, male energy is of doing, categorizing, and controlling, and feminine energy is opposite, she unnames them. But she's not making them un invisible. She's giving them self-governance. She's allowing them to be as they want to be and allowing them to name themselves. So basically, she's equalizing the playing field so that Adam doesn't have dominion. The last words of the piece are, I could not chatter away as I used to do, taking it all for granted. My words must be slow, as new, as single, as tentative as the steps I took going down the path away from the house between the dark branch tall dancers motionless against the winter shining. So she's saying that to see the world as it is, where creatures get to name themselves, is to speak with purpose and intention so that the thing you speak of is accurately represented. It makes you closer to that thing than for you to impose your vision of it on them. And really that's the only way that we can connect. When we come from a place of purity, that thing or person comes from a place of purity and then we all get to be in the same authentic sphere together. And how we speak of things can be a symbol of control or, and a way to divide, or it can be a way to connect and free. And love is a great connector. When we love people, we rush in and help them when they're hurt. We stop when they're on the side of the road with a flat. We give them clothes or food when they're in need. In return, we feel a sense of connection and belonging. And love is infinite. It grows by giving it away. There's no lack of love unless you yourself are not allowing it to flow. You don't need anyone to give it to you. You have plenty and you can just give it to yourself. The other giant connector is forgiveness. When we can't forgive, we get hard and withhold love. That's really what forgiveness is. It's forgoing our need for an apology to be right, to get something that wasn't forthcoming. It's like saying, that's cool. I don't need it. I'm at peace with myself. And if you can forgive and love, you're in a position where you don't have to name or unname anyone. You can allow them to be who they want to be, even if they say they're a spider and you see a skunk. It doesn't matter. It's a way of allowing others sovereignty. You see, in my book, when there are two beings of unequal power, the one with the greater power yields to and protects the one with the lesser power. That's the way to stay connected and equal. Otherwise, we have a system of the bigger and more powerful ruling. And that's what gets us in situations where people with little power end up being sex trafficking victims, while the people who abuse them live in their penthouses with no repercussions. Only when we have a world where all lives matter, do any of our lives matter. So where do you want to live? When it hit me that the woman with the dogs was purposely being mean to me, that she didn't see me as an equal, worthy human being, that she unnamed me, I was in shock. I thought, how can we live in a world like this? 
I see equals. I see people with lights inside just shining beautifully. Maybe not always, but maybe not brightly, but it's in there. That light is what connects me to everyone and everything else. And the World War II show I was watching made me feel really sad for all the people without trust in something greater, who feel that we have to crush other people to stay safe and to kill and to do such soul-darkening things. There's another way, guys, and it all starts with our eyes and the way we see things. So look for the light. Who do you want to be? I want to be the kind of person who sees individuality, equality, and significance in every soul. And if you see that too, together we can create a world where that's what's there. Are you up for that? So last words. If you want to connect with people, call them by their names. Let them define who they are and how they want to be seen. If you can take something from someone's culture, call it by its name. If you change it in any way, call it something else. Words are powerful. That's why they call it spelling. And they say there is nothing sweeter than the sound of your own name. It's a way of saying, I see you. And when we mangle someone's name or mislabel something, it's like saying, I don't see you. You don't matter. Do you have a different experience? Let me know in the comments. Or if you have an experience of being unnamed, let me know that too. We need to talk about this so that it becomes a part of everyone's consciousness so that we can police ourselves better. All right, if you wanna to talk to me, catch me in the private Facebook group. We have a TikTok and YouTube channel as well as a blog. Go subscribe there for more modern animism and don't forget to leave us a review for the podcast. I'm Laura Giles. Thanks for tuning in and see y'all next week.